a beautiful day to sing praise to God, and it's, it's, when creation out there is looking so good, it always reminds me how much glory is in the Lord, and then when we have a new heavens and new earth where there's no uh, twinge of corruption or anything that's wrong out there, how much greater is that going to be, and that's, that's our story, that's what we have to look forward to, and we have deposits of it now. And we can grow in it now so we can be in a place where even in this environment that is corrupt and filled with sorrows and trials and problems, we can still have something of the knowledge of the glory of God which causes some praise and comfort to rise up within us. And so uh, this past couple weeks I've been talking about your story. What's your story? And, And if you stop and ask, what's the story in whatever situation you're in, you can realign yourself. You can get your bearings straight again because your story is an awesome story. As I said the first week we started this, everyone in here is an incredible book, right? Do you feel like that now? You should feel like that now, right? Well, if not, you can. You can be a real page turner, a can't put down. Why? Because Jesus Christ has bought you, has purchased you, and not only purchased you just so that you can get by, but because he wants to use you. He wants to reveal himself to you more and more. We only know just a little bit. We have revelation, but our story is that the king of all stories, the king of history, it's all his story. He wants to include us in his glorious ends, and he wants to be with us as we get to that point. So we've talked about your story. It is an incredible story that Jesus purchased us and forgave us of our sins. If you have turned to him, you have been born again, and you've made him Lord of your life, you have a new track set before you. You have a glorious beginning. And the Bible reveals that you have a glorious end. The things that are to come, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, neither has it entered in the heart of man the things that the Lord has prepared for him, but he's revealed them to us by his, his uh, spirit. So that's good you say you got the beginning, a glorious beginning, and you've got a glorious end, but what about right now? What about in the meantime? Someone once said the meantime can be a mean time, and it often is, right? Uh, but the meantime, even though it can be a meantime, it can also be a meaningful time. This can be the most meaningful time for you when you know your story and when you get that uh, sense of what's happening in the meantime. And that's where we have to go to God and understand what he has for us. We know the glorious beginning. We know a glorious end. But the meantime seems like a meantime. It's not that glorious or it doesn't seem that glorious. But actually it is working us a far greater way to glory than we can imagine. So we come to James chapter 1, verse 2 to 4, because the meantime is an opportunity to grow. And it's all about growing as Christians, as human beings. Just as human beings, you want to be growing. You don't want to ever stop growing. You want to uh, fill your mind with new things, learn new things up to the very end. You want to be uh, expanding your horizons and just learning as much as we can, just to develop as humans. But even more importantly, that's important as Christians because we are growing 
supernaturally as new creations in Christ, and we have a mandate from God to serve him in his kingdom, and we have the blessings of his assistance, his Holy Spirit with us, Christ in us, the hope of glory. And it's through these trials that we grow. It's through a relationship with him. Sometimes you, you don't push yourself to seek him if everything's going right. Can anybody say amen? Uh, it's often the trials that push us to grow. And so we're going to look at something about uh, a good thing about trials. We don't want to mistake and say trials are good. The scripture doesn't say trials are good. But what does it say? There is a good report concerning trials. So look at James chapter 1, verse 2 to 4. This might be a good uh, precursor to Bill's James study next week. Do we have that? Okay, well, while they're getting it, James uh, chapter 1, verse 2 to 4 says, Consider it joy when you fall into diverse trials. No, oh, there it is. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So it doesn't say that it is joyful to fall into various trials. Do you ever feel joy? When, it doesn't say to feel joy when you fall into various trials. What does it say? It says to count it all joy. And how do you do that? What does that mean? Count it is an accounting term. It's kind of like, I think it was last week, we talked about reckon yourself dead to sin. Reckon yourself alive unto Christ. You have to make an accounting, accounting it as this counts for joy when you fall into various trials. And so has anybody ever played Scrabble? Yes, I know we have all played Scrabble, right? And how about that time when you didn't know if this word was going to work and you just went for broke? You just put that word down and you were just trusting that no one was going to challenge you and you put that word down, there it is, ha, and you sit back, and they said, wait a second, wait a second, that's not a real word. <laughs> oh, yes, it is, I know it, I, uh, you think you know it, but you're a little nervous now because there, it's being challenged, and I thought it was a real word, is it not a real, so what do they do, they go to the dictionary to see if it counts, and you're nervous, and they're looking it up, and then Oh, well, what do you know? It's in the dictionary. It counts. So all the while, you were a little bit nervous, but when you heard that it counts, you could relax and you could rest. You had a little more confidence at that point. And that's the thing about what James is saying. You, when you fall into various trials, it's not going to feel joyful, but you can say, this counts. I don't have to look it up in the dictionary, but I look it up in the scriptures here. The scriptures tell me that... Uh, when you encounter various trials, rejoice because trials produce perseverance. Perseverance produces character. Character produces hope, and that hope doesn't disappoint. That's Romans 5, 5, I believe. But there's all kinds of places in Scripture, we're considering some of that today, in which we could say, hey, this counts. You know, I don't have to give up. I don't have to be weakened and fall apart like a cheap suitcase. I can count this as joy. This counts, and that gives me strength to make it through the trial. But the trial is telling you a story. It's saying, 
that you are doomed and that there's no hope. And there's another story, though, in these very verses right here. It's saying that let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect. Oh, I'm sorry, back up. It says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. That's the good report. You know something. The trial, the circumstances is saying you're doomed. But you know something. You know another story. You're, say, you're saying, no, the, the, the testing of my faith produces patience. I have something now. It's not, uh, it's not the story that the trial is producing random chaos in my life. That's what most people think. Why is this happening? When is this ever going to end? It's a, a thinking about, I can't understand this, and I wish, you know, whatever we wish. We have a different story now. We, can, we know that it's not random chaos coming into our lives, but it is a testing of the faith that produces patience. And we're seeing that the fruit of that is that patience is going to have a perfect work, and you're going to be complete, and you're going to lack nothing. It doesn't say that God is testing you or that he's putting the trial on you to test you. No, you don't need that. Life itself is a test, right? And even later in the book of James, in the first chapter, it says God doesn't tempt us with evil. And we know that life itself can be a test. And so we are always being tested. We are put through trials. But God will have us come through as if it is a test that we have to pass. And when we do, we let patience have its perfect work. We end up receiving more than perhaps we would have had not had this trial not come upon us. So with that, we know that there's something ahead, that there is a fruit. We have a new narrative. We have a new story that this trial is something that's going to produce patience. And we want patience because what does patience result in? Makes us perfect and complete lacking nothing. But the meantime that we're in suggests a different story. It can actually, though, be an opportunity for patients to do its perfect work. You know, um, we don't like patience sometimes. It's a dangerous thing to ask God, give me patience, because then it's like, okay, now you're going to have to work. But it's actually an important thing in our lives to build up faith, that we may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. You know, we want to build up our bodies. We want to exercise. For, you know, some of us do, some of us used to. You know, ideally, we all, we all want to do that. I used to. I don't uh, anymore, but I used to do weights and things like that. And I remember uh, back in the day, uh, I read comic books, and there was a popular ad on the back of the comic book cover that had this Arnold Schwarzenegger-looking guy flexing his muscles, this huge body, and the headline says, you can look like this in seven days. Wow. What, Mom, can I order this? Can, no. Sadly, it doesn't happen like that. Sadly, uh, we want things on a microwave cooking time frame, but God does things more on a crock-pot cooker time frame. And it has to be an exercise, and it has to be a, a workout of faith as we grow. You can't grow muscles overnight. And faith, I often think of in terms of faith muscles. Faith muscles have to be grown. 
you might not have enough faith to make it through a certain situation you're in, but you can, you can have enough faith for part of it. And then when you get past that part of it, then your faith is a little bit stronger and you can get past the next stage. And eventually you're building your faith up so that when the next situation comes, you've been there, done that, and you know how to trust God and you can get through it. And that's when you're perfect and complete, lacking nothing. That's how God works. He builds up our faith muscles through the patience. But we have to understand that. We have to know that story. We have to see that end that, uh, you know, I'm grunting now. When I was lifting weights, the, the smallest amount of weights would cause me to go, it's, it's too much. And then a coach would say, come on, come on, and push you, push you. That's, that's what your pastor's for, to push you in the spirit. Come on, people, you can do it. Okay, so you do it, and you grunt, and you grunt, but the more you grunt through, the more you do it, suddenly that weight that you were grunting through is nothing. Now you're lifting a heavier weight, but then you're going to an, another heavier weight, and so someone comes along and gives you this older weight, that you're, and you just t take your pinky and you lift it up, say, hey, no problem, right? But that doesn't come overnight. It comes with time, and so faith, you know, we want to be faith-filled people, and one of the greatest hindrances to our faith is the immediate and the now and the natural. And we have to learn our story and get that end in us. You know, we, we haven't gotten to our end yet. And, you know, we have glorious beginning. We have a glorious end. The meantime can be a meantime. We haven't gotten to that glorious end. However, through the Holy Spirit and through the Word of God, we can get that glorious end into us and when that glorious end gets into us that's the secret power that's the secret weapon that the holy spirit uses we we are transformed by the renewing of our mind we are thinking in different terms we're thinking in the terms of a greater narrative a greater story so one of the greatest examples of this is joseph and if you want to read the story of joseph in the bible You'd have to read from chapters 37 to 50 for the most part. So we're not going to go through and read chapters 37 to 50. But let me just sum it up because Joseph, if you're growing in the word, if you're growing in, in your walk with the Lord, you should be very familiar with the story of Joseph. Joseph had the end get into him. You know the story. He, he had a dream. He had a dream that he would be exalted and his brothers and others would be worshiping or bowing down before him. They'd be bowing before him, and that was the vision the Lord gave him. That was the report. It came in the form of a dream, and it got into him, and of course he couldn't keep it quiet, so he started sharing it with his brothers. He shared it with his father, and they, were, they didn't appreciate that. And, you know, it's kind of like us. When we get the end, we know what the Lord's done for us. We want to share it with others, but sometimes they're like, wait a second. But that didn't stop them. But it got his brothers angry, and so they meant to kill him. Instead, they threw him in a pit by one of his brothers' inter intervention there. They sold him off to slavery, so he got picked up as a slave. He worked in Potiphar's house, and he started to prosper in Potiphar's house. And then there was the incident with Potiphar's wife, who tempted him, but he ran. So here, when he ran, that got him in trouble. Joseph got in trouble for doing the right thing and for honoring God. And so I'm telling you a lot today. I'm saying God's going to bless you. God's going to strengthen you. But also you might get in trouble 
when you're strengthened by God because th this world is contrary and there's spiritual enemies out there and things don't always work to our advantage in the natural sense. And so there's Joseph who got put in jail for something he didn't do in Potiphar's house. And that could be a great time to have a pity party, right? Man, I thought that I was doing good, and I thought, is this the way God rewards me for honoring him? And, and we don't see any evidence of that in the scripture. Instead, we see Joseph prospering in jail. He's put in charge of others in the jail. He prospers everywhere he goes. How does that happen? It happens, I believe, because the end had gotten into him. His dream was so uh, dominant and at the core of everything he was doing and who he was. That's who he was. That's what he did. And we take it our way. We are Christians. We know the Lord Jesus. Everything we're about is with that end in sight, with that story over us. That's our story, and we're sticking with it. But Joseph could have given in to a pity party. Joseph could have said, where's God? But he stood by faith on the vision, the report that God had given him. And so eventually, you know, the rest, the baker and the butler, say, we had dreams. What do they mean? And Joseph interpreted their dreams and uh, didn't do so well for the baker. He was executed by the Pharaoh. But the butler, he had a good dream, and he was restored to the Pharaoh. And he said, okay, I'll, I'll let the Pharaoh know how you were. And Joseph said, remember me to Pharaoh. He said, okay, I will. But then it was about two years the, that the butler had forgotten Joseph. And I could imagine how Joseph must have felt. You're on the precipice of something wonderful here, and that butler just got restored. Man, he's going to put in a good word for me. And then the next day goes by, I haven't heard anything. And then the next day, I haven't heard anything. And the next day, hey, what's going on here? And then a week goes by. Well, surely this week, it, and it doesn't happen. How many people have felt crushed or disappointed because of something they were thinking was going to happen? And instead, they were supposed to count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. How many of them started thinking that this is building something? I'm just going to trust the Lord. I'm going to trust in his timing because he knows when the best time is. Sometimes we're not delivered immediately or we're not given what we're seeking immediately because we still are not ready for it. You know, I know people who have multi-million dollar ministries out there you know, you see some on TV and things. I know of one that they talked about, you know, people want to have this ministry, but I didn't get this overnight. It happened over a long haul. And if I had gotten such, such a huge ministry and all these funds when I was young and fresh, it would have destroyed me because I wasn't ready. I didn't know how to handle it appropriately until, you know, through the many trials and things that God worked in my life. So the same goes with us, and maybe this time lapse for Joseph had something to do in his preparation. But the point is, is that he never faltered under it. It doesn't give indication that he faltered. He probably had his moments, but then he realigned. We can always have our moments, but we get back to what's, what's the story? What's the good report concerning us? And it was a total of perhaps 13 years. I believe it was 13 to 14 years between the time of Joseph's report, his dream, and the fulfillment when it actually came to pass. That's a long time. 
in Hebrews, 13, or Hebrews 11, verse 13 to 16, it talked about the heroes of the faith. It said, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. So what was their confession? They are uh, people who do not belong here. We are just passing through. They confess that they were strangers and, and pilgrims on the earth. They are seeking a better homeland. So what are you confessing? Oh, woe is me. Oh, what are, I, I'm just, a, I'm just, this is my, it is what it is. That's the wrong confession sometimes. Sometimes you have to say, okay, but you confess, this is not my home. This is not my, my land. I'm only here for a season. I'm a stranger, a pilgrim. When I was in China, I always felt like a stranger and a pilgrim. And I looked like one, too, because I didn't look, you know, in China, they point you out, from a mile away and say, there's a foreigner, there's a foreigner. That doesn't happen in America because we're a melting pot culture and we all, all have all kinds of different ethnicities and people from different nations that become Americans and they're here. But in China, everybody's Chinese, everybody looks the same ethnically and then they see a foreigner out there. I felt out of place. But I, I never became Chinese. I adapted to the culture, but I never stopped being an American. And I always looked forward to the time that I was going to go home and visit my homeland, visit my home country, my friends and my family and everything. I always looked forward to that because it was just going back to where I belong and everything works the way I understand it and it's it, the way it should be. And that's kind of just a little bit about how we as Christians, we don't belong here. We embrace another country. What's the next verses here? 15 and 16, Hebrews 11, 15 and 16, and truly if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. This is really something. They could have called to mind the country from which they had come out, Oh, it was better when, I, when we were back there, when we were slaves, when we, when we were under the pressure. At least we had all the goodies and things like that. We can look back. Sometimes being a Christian is hard, and we have more, more of a, a burden that we didn't have when we were living carefree and careless in the world. And it would be easy to return and say, Ah, oh, I don't want to push through. I don't want to be patient. I want it now. But that's making the wrong choice because you are choosing something that is worse. They desire a better. And the problem with a lot of Christians is we don't desire a better. We get fooled and deceived by the now and the immediate, and we think that's better. But God is saying, trust me, if you just have patience, let it have its perfect work, you'll be lack, not lacking anything, you'll be complete. And there's an eternal better, there's a glorious better, there's a heavenly city that we're looking to, that's where our citizenship is, that's our story, that's what pushes us through. But we have to make sure that we are desiring a better. And it's so easy to desire something less than better because we're constantly being tempted with the allurements of better pleasures, better comforts, worldly 
applause and worldly acceptance, and it's just easier in the fleshly sense to live that way. But that even that doesn't help you because when you make that choice, when you become a citizen of the worldly country, you also heap on yourself the worldly burdens, the worldly cares, the worldly sicknesses, the worldly concerns, and you don't have that better country in you helping you, strengthening you, giving you a joy that be transcends understanding, that comes from heaven above, that helps you and, and gives you the strength you need in every circumstance. Well, I don't need strength. I'm strong. I can handle things. Yeah, but for how long? Everyone thinks they can do it until something really hits them, and then it's too late. They haven't built their faith muscles up. You can't say, oh, now I'm in a situation. Now I'm going to draw on the promises of God. Now I'm going to be okay and strengthened. What? You're flabby. You haven't worked out in years. You have to be prepared because life hits us all the time. And, and besides that, there's so much more that is better about walking with God. And we've talked about that. And we'll continue to talk about that. But we have to go after the best and we have to be drawn to our home country and when you have that home country as your goal, your end, the end is gotten into us, that's when you're unstoppable. And that's what we see in Paul in Acts 20, verse 24. They told him not to go to Jerusalem and told him what was going to happen and he was going to be bound and everything. And he says, none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. You're telling me all these things are going to happen and all these trials and all these problems I'm going through. Paul's life could have been so much easier. You go through the list of what he suffered. Persecution, stoning, sleeplessness, being cast out at sea, hunger, and, and it goes on and on. There are so many things that he endured and everything could have been so much easier if he wasn't about his main business which is our main business. But he said, none of that moves me. None of these things move me. I mean, who cares? I'm going to a better place. I, I want to finish my race with joy. If you want your joy now, you can have it. That's temporary and fading, and it's conditional upon everything outside of your control. I want to finish my race with joy. That's the end that got into him. And if we can get that end into us, Lord, help us. We can say, none of these things move me. Even as I go through the valley of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. God is with us, and we have a glorious end. We have to remember we are, are, uh, we are on a destination, a journey. Paul could say that because he understood his purpose, his calling, and his destination. And you all, and me, me and you, you and me, we have a purpose, a calling, and a destination. Nobody in here is without a purpose. You may have felt like, oh, what can I do? Some of you are a little bit older. Nobody's old. <laughs> You're only older, okay? Don't say I'm old. Just say I'm older <laughs> because we're never old. We, we are renewed in our youth. By the Lord, and, and daily we are a new creation in Him. We are getting older in the flesh, yes, but we're not old. And we all have a purpose. We all have a calling. Well, what can I do? I can't do anything now. I mean, okay, I'm not old. I'm older, but my body's not going to let me do. You can do what the Lord wants you to do where you are. It's just as important to pray, give support as it is to go. 
It's important to be a model, an example in your environment, in your family, in your workplace, in the school. To be an example could be your calling, your destination, your purpose. But everybody can be one who shines the light of Jesus. Amen. Right? Right. There was an important point I wanted to make about that, too. You know, some of you might be in a family situation in which your family doesn't quite agree with you. There are some, and, you know, I know how that goes myself. And some, sometimes it feels like, well, I am not able to shine for the Lord in my household. Yes, you are. Whether they agree with you or not, you are a shiner. You are an example. You are a model and it may be like Joseph that they don't quite appreciate your shining. But if you have your knowledge of who you are, what your story is, and the end of your story, it can give you that glow that is able to withstand any opposition, whether it comes from family or from the world outside. You know, you invite someone, we're talking about Invitation Sunday, and if you invite someone, they laugh and spit in your face. I don't think that's going to happen. But you can handle it because what you just say, poor, poor fella or poor whatever, you know, you you have something that they don't. And you can endure. And it's often when we endure that the gold gets refined, cured, starts to shine. And they can't deny what's glowing and emanating from you, whether they admit it or not. And sometimes it's a way of affecting them that won't happen immediately, but in due time, if we trust in the Lord. See, we have to keep, that's a good report, right? We have to keep that as, as our story. The good report will get us further than giving in to everything that suggests otherwise. But let's look at Numbers 13. And uh, I wanted to go through Numbers 13 and 14, but that's too much. So we're only going to do a few verses here and there, but there's a great example here of how to live according to the good report. In verses 1 and 2, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel, from each tribe of their fathers. And you shall send a man, every one a leader among them. So at the beginning, here is the story. I am giving to the children of Israel the land of Canaan. Okay, who, who said this? The Lord said this. There is the story. And from that story, there is an instruction. Now, send men to spy out the land of Canaan. What are we given? We are given more than the land of Canaan. We are given, like I said before, our glorious end. But in between, in the meantime, we are given the promises of God, the warnings of God that keep us on the straight path to keep us out of destruction and, and defeat. We have the presence of God. We have the Holy Spirit with us in a way that they didn't have at that time. We have all of the witness and testimony from the scriptures to our use that they didn't have. And we have Jesus, who is greater than anything else that has died and risen again, resurrected, that he might partake with us, we might partake with him in the divine nature 
and be led through as we go. So what has God given us? That's our story. That's our, our story, our report. So that was theirs. They are given this, and uh, it looks like it's pretty bad in verses 25 to 29. Verses 25 to 29. And they returned from spying out the land after 40 days. Now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them. They brought back a story, a report to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Now they departed came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children and they said this is what's in the wilderness they brought back word to them to all the congregation showed them the fruit of the land then they they told him and said verse 27 we went to the land where you sent us it truly flows with milk and honey and this is its fruit nevertheless but yeah it looks good but nevertheless the people who dwell in the land are strong The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. So it looks good, but I just don't know. I just don't know. You know, we have a lot of ites out there. And some of us, we have to deal with ites all the time, right? They're out there. You can't get around them. And, but then Caleb comes in in verse 30, and he says something better. Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. We are well able to overcome it. There's a positive person. And you know, we all like to be around positive people, right? except when we are wanting to have a pity party or when we are wanting other people to join us in our misery and our negative outlook and things, then a positive person causes people to roll their eyes. And that's actually what I think they did. Caleb went up and was positive. Let's go up. We can take possession. We're able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. Oh, boy. So then he says, but the men who said that, and then they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak, came from the giants, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight." You know, things do look bad out there. And the bad report that they gave was what they saw by sight. And the moral here, the lesson here, the story here is we can't go by sight. We have to go by faith according to what the Word of God says. The Word of God says, I'm giving you this land. They said, we look like grasshoppers in their sights. 
And you may be saying today, I'm just a grasshopper. I may be a Christian, but I'm just a weak, insufficient Christian. I, don't, I can't do what other... Stop saying that. Don't look at yourself in your sight. Look at what the Lord has said about you. You're a new creation. You're, with Christ, you can do all things who strengthens you. You are not just you. You are incredible you. And that's not to make you feel good. It's just that we have to get into our suits, our armor, our Christian calling, destination, purpose. We have to know who we are in Christ and who our God is, who has promised, and who has given us a mandate, and a word, and a promise. And that's the report that we go by, not by what we see in our sight. Yeah, I look in the mirror, I don't, you know, I, I look and I say, I can't do that, I can't, well good, you're in just the right spot, because he doesn't want you to be able to be able to do it. He wants to do it through us. And so we can actually be encouraged, we can count it joy when we feel insufficient, inadequate, because that's where he comes in. That's where he wants to prove himself. And he will. He does it all the time. Well, I don't see him. Well, be patient. Let patience have its perfect work so that you may be complete and lacking nothing. Okay, pastor, great. All right, so 14, 1 to 3. Somebody help me. All right, 14, 1 to 3, and we'll wrap this up. Let's just finish this story about what they saw and what the Lord said. In 14... Chapter 14, 1 to 3, it says, So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. All right, so they weren't listening to Caleb's story. They cried and they wept. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in the wilderness. Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? Man, there it is. What story are we speaking? They were, this is a you know, the Lord said, I'm giving you this land. They said, we're going in to fall and be victims and to lose our children and wives and things. So in verse 6 through 9, verse 6 through 9, Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, who were among those who had spied the land, they tore their clothes and they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, the land we passed through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights us, delights in us, then he will bring us into the land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Amen. That, that's enough. Yeah, Joshua. Yeah, Caleb. That's, that's what we needed to hear, right? But no. Verse 10 says, and the whole congregation decided that they wanted to stone, stone these guys. What? So he's saying that, look, these giants are going to be our bread. Their protection has departed from And what's the story? The Lord is with us. What was the story last week with Gideon? The Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. Well, that was Gideon. That was these guys. Well, it says in Hebrews 13, 5, the Lord will never leave us nor forsake us. The Lord is with us. And if the Lord is with us, that means that our giants, the ites that are out there, and the descendants of Anak, all these, their protection has left them. And they, are, they can be our bread. Did you ever think about the giant problem you might be going through could actually become your bread? What? How, how can that be? Because it might strengthen you as you're patient, waiting for that patience to have its work, and you're trusting in the fact that the Lord is with you and that he's given you the land 
And this thing could be something that builds you up and strengthens you. I know it's true. I've been through the fires. I've been through the tests and the trials in which there were giants, and it was no fun waiting for the situation to resolve. But now I can look back, and my trials have become my trophies. There's one for the posters. Your trials can become your trophies. You think about it. Look at what you've gone through in the past and how now you're kind of excited and boastful. Yeah, I went through that, but I got, I got past it. Praise the Lord. The Lord helped me. That's my trophy. That's your trophy. I think when we get to heaven, we're going to see lots of the things that we went through, and it's going to be our trophies, and we might have time with fellowshipping. Whatever. You went through that? Well, let me tell you what I went and how the Lord got me through this. And wow, you went through it. And, and we're just going to glorify God. Anyway, that's speculation. But, ain't, but that's our story. And your giants might just become the bread. Well, let's wrap this up. The story is that the Lord delights in us. I was going to go through later where uh, the Lord says, let me just wipe them out, Moses. Moses says, no, what will the story be to the Egyptians? They said he was not able to take them all the way. Not that he was not able to in the, in the powerful sense, but in the care. He said he, couldn't, he didn't have the patience. Well, the Lord, Lord had the patience. And so when, when we speak, let's give, when we're praying, here's the story, and here's how you can be glorified, Lord, and here's what you have said. And finally, we do have to look at uh, chapter 14, verse 36 and 38, because this is the punchline. This is the conclusion. The Lord relents and says, okay, I'll carry him through, but these people who have been whining and complaining aren't going to get in. It's going to be their children and their wives, those who who uh, they thought were going to be victims. They're the ones that are going to inherit the land as along with Joshua and Caleb, along with Joshua and Caleb. And so in verse 36, 14, verse 36 to 38, it says, Now the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land, who returned and made all the congregation complain against him by bringing a bad report of the land, those very men who brought the evil report about the land died by the plague before the Lord before the Lord. But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, remained alive of the men who went to spy out the land. It says that those men who brought the evil report. And here's what I want to ask. Why was this report? We, we know it was a bad report, but why is it called an evil report? You know, all they did was report what they saw, and they didn't lie. They saw an intimidating situation. They saw giants. They saw a good land. And they saw uh, something that looked against the odds. And that was true. But this is calling it an evil report. You can speak something that's true, and it's still an evil report. How? Why? Because although it was true, it wasn't the truth. It wasn't the whole story. And because they were yielding to this part that was true, but forgetting that another part was true, and that is that God had given a good report. God had said, I'm giving you this land. So the evil report, the bad report, was denying the report of the Lord, even though they weren't lying or saying anything that wasn't true, but they weren't saying it in the context of the whole truth. And so when we face something, we have to understand what has God said about this? 
Where am I in place with God? Am I in the right place with God? What is true about this? Yeah, it's true. I'm having symptoms and I'm sick. That's true. But the truth is, by his stripes, I'm healed. Yeah, it's true. I, my, my pockets are kind of empty right now. But the truth is, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. It's true that I feel like I'm a rotten, corrupt sinner still. But the truth is that Jesus has forgiven your sins and that the account, he has counted it clean and out. You may feel it and sense it still, but what's, what report are you going to subscribe to? And that report will determine how you're going to live in the days ahead. Are you going to live guilty and beaten up and defeated because you're subs subscribing to those truths or are you going to go to the bigger truth that God has said these are opportunities to grow and as you grow your faith is going to get stronger and you're going to experience more more fellowship more of a blessing in knowing the Lord through a relationship that trusts and you will be complete and lacking nothing that's a good report and it's all because of the best report that Jesus shed his blood for us that we might have forgiveness of sins, eternal life, and a relationship with him in the here and now. And if you don't know this story, that's the first thing you've got to get right. That Jesus loved you, gave his life for you, forgave you of everything. And if you believe, you will be born again, you will be brought into a higher place with God. You will be a new creation that is capable of anything because it's not you anymore. It's you and the Lord. The Lord is with you now. And there will be all kinds of warfare against you, and there will be giants out there, but it's nothing. They become your bread because of what Jesus has done and is doing and will do. Get the end of the story into you, and you will go better towards the end amen and with that let's let's uh participate in communion